0: Welcome, everybody, to the 39th episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Chapone. We are almost hitting the 50-episode market for the show. So once again, just wanted to take the time to thank you guys all for tuning in. Uh, this is going to be a solo episode. We have no guests on for today's episode. They will be returning back um, once we cover the NBA draft and then eventually free agency. Uh, but I wanted to use today's episode to kind of recenter ourselves back to the offseason and really deep dive what's going to be happening over the next couple days. I want to start off by trying talking about the NBA draft, especially uh, some of my expectations, some of my takeaways, and what certain teams might do. Then I want to cover a trade that happened during our last podcast episode more in depth because it really uh, does uh, center what's going to happen, particularly with this NBA draft. Uh, Then I want to focus thoroughly on some rumors that have been happening and swirling around the past couple days, including some uh, with some key free agents that are out on the market, uh, both in free agency and in trades. Follow that up by two more pieces of information, uh, first with key dates that have been released for the following NBA season that will be happening in 2021 and 2022. And then lastly, uh, providing some more context behind the NBA releasing new rules for shooting mechanics and non, uh, the differentiation of how they want to call the shooting fouls that have really plagued the NBA uh, for this past season. Uh, before we get started, again, we have more episodes coming out very soon. We've got an NBA draft episode that will come out after Friday, once that draft happens. Uh, additionally, we'll have some more free agency uh, offseason stuff. Definitely some uh, predictions, winners, losers, all that sort of stuff that will happen uh, within the next couple weeks. So, uh, again, with guests on. So, just again, take the time to say thank you. Let's dive into this episode with the offseason. My personal favorite part about the NBA, in all honesty. I love Analyzing what certain teams do to build title contenders, how they build for the future, what sort of things they like to prioritize. And I think this season, more than ever, there really is an emphasis on how important the offseason is. Just because of the uncertainty of last season with certain teams overachieving, other teams falling very, very short, especially those really big-name contenders from the last couple years or so, it'll be interesting to see which teams make a move and really put all their chips on the table for the hand at their disposal. Additionally, there's also teams that you can argue have big moves to make, but we really don't know what those moves are. And then finally, I think we can really say that there are a lot of teams that need upgrades, but it is hard to say specifically where those upgrades fall. Do you get them through the trade market? Do you get them from a free agent via a signing? Or do you get it through the draft? And definitely... I want to get started on this episode with the NBA draft. Out of anything relating to free agency, it is my personal favorite time just because the NBA draft fuels what happens in the rest of the offseason, especially when it comes to what uh, players go to certain teams based on if a prospect gets picked, all the different things related to teams moving up, moving down, looking to either add a big-name player that they think might change their franchise or trading back in order to get two smaller role pieces, but at the same time two additional shots at the apple in, when it comes to finding an appropriate prospect. Um, with this NBA draft, it's very intriguing for a couple reasons. The first of which is what's going to define this NBA draft is what happens in the top four. Cause it seems like more likely than not according to various sources cade cunningham going to detroit number one pick about 90 percent lock seal the door you know throw the key away all that sort of stuff after that's where it gets very interesting because now the question is assuming that again nobody trades up for the number one pick i don't think it's going to happen what do the rockets do it too because there's three avenues that it seems like are very consensus are very uh big and probably going to happen number one is that they take Jalen Green, the guard from the G League Ignite team, uh, you know, versatile scorer, uh, especially both at the top of the key when it comes to his three-point shots, attacking the glass, all that sort of stuff. Uh, option two will be taking Evan Mobley, the uh, USC big, out of uh out of or the yeah the USC big, excellent season last year, you know, basically a two-way player, potentially fits the mold as the modern-day uh, NBA center that can you know do a lot on offense and on and defense as well. Or thirdly, do they trade down? Do they you know? trade the third pick and one of their bad contracts for a team like, let's say, Orlando. Do they know three and somebody for five and eight? Or do they do some sort of move like that in order to add more draft capital to their uh, arsenal that they already have? That's an interesting team to look out for because this affects a lot of things. So, for instance, if we play the scenario game here, if Houston takes Evan Mobley, let's say, with the second pick, now Cleveland at three is an interesting spot because you already have Colin Sexton and you have Darius Garland. But now the next guy, at least on paper, that you think would be good, according to most mock drafts, would be either Jalen Green, the guard of the G League night, or Jalen Suggs, the point guard uh, from that really good Gonzaga team, who's uh, basically been top five to six, more in that the three to four range throughout this whole draft process. That brings up an interesting debate for Cleveland: Do you trade Collin Sexton or Darius Garland? Do you trade back in the draft to acquire more assets, whether it be you know trading? I don't know, pick three to, let's say, the Thunder for six and something else, if the, Thund- if the Thunder want to move up. Do the Cavs take Scotty Barnes or Jonathan Kaminga? A little bit of a reach, but both of those guys are excellent, potentially modern-day wings that can do all sorts of things, and if their jump shots are improving, could really set their franchise off into a good direction. These are the types of scenarios that are going to affect the NBA draft. And I think this draft more than ever, compared to at least the drafts in the past five or so years, there will really be a big impact on teams moving up, teams moving down, trading veterans for certain contracts. There will be a lot of trades in this uh, in this NBA draft, mainly because a lot of teams that are looking to make moves don't have cap space, or they're really lacking on stuff. Minus you know the veteran minimum and the uh, MLE exception, the like eight point nine or nine point six or whatever it is. As a result, in order to improve, the only way to do that would be trading for draft picks or using draft picks to trade for veterans. The teams that do have cap space, minus a couple like, let's say, Miami, for instance, are all teams that either are at the middle land, like San Antonio and all these teams that, you know, really, um, they're not contenders, but they're also not definitely tanking either. Or teams like the Knicks, who just have a lot of money to play with, and we really don't know what they're going to do with it. Again, a lot of the big-name contenders, I could say probably 9 out of the top 13 teams in the league, are going to be making their moves via a trade. Especially when it comes to teams like Philadelphia, Portland, Los Angeles, uh, both teams in fact. All those teams will be very fascinating to see what they do when it comes to this NBA draft. Another interesting scenario that I think should be, in, uh, be focused on if you're watching this NBA draft is what happens after 3. Because now this is where things get interesting. Toronto at four, there's a case to, that they can do a lot of things. They could trade four for an asset, like an actual veteran player that can help them right now and uh, to compete. If they go in the route of saying Kyle Lowry's not coming back, we should hit the reset button, do they keep the fourth pick and take Jalen Suggs and he basically is the Kyle Lowry replacement that they need? Or do they start shipping out everybody? Do they trade Siakam for 7 and 14 and do they just hit the reset button with a complete new rebuild, new players, tank in an Eastern Conference that not is totally not wide open but is also not closed either. That's a team that you have to look out for. I think what's going to make the break this draft is after the Kate Cunningham pick. That's the bottom line. I think once Kate Cunningham is off the board, Houston and Cleveland decide the fate for the rest of the draft. At least for now, Given if there is a potential trade up. We've already seen, and we'll get into it in a little bit, New Orleans and Memphis making a deal where Memphis is taking bad salary but moving up to get a top ten pick in this draft. These are the these this is not gonna be like a one a one-time thing. This is gonna be a big trend for a lot of these teams. And what makes it so fascinating is that some of these teams in the top 14 really are teams that have some potential ability to compete next season. I mean, if you're looking at some a team like let's say Golden State with the seventh overall pick, do you want to risk wasting a seventh overall pick on a rookie that even if it's, a, say, it's you know, the Mitchell guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, uh, I'm blanking on him, but basically, uh, Davian Mitchell, that's his name. the The guy out of Michigan, or Baylor, even if he's, you know, an older rookie, 3 and D, unselfish, do you waste a pick like that? Or... If you're Golden State, do you package 7-14 and you know, Wiseman and you know, another contract, whether it be Oubre and a sign and or God knows what, for a veteran that can help you win now while Steph Curry, Quay Thompson, and Draymond Green are still your foundation uh, for the Warriors? These sorts of questions with these teams are really going to make or break this draft, and especially toward this bottom part of the lottery, where you have teams like the Pacers, the Spurs, and the Hornets and back-to-back picks, And then after that, you got after Golden State again, the Wizards and the Thunder, you know, some of these teams that they can make a lot of different moves, and it'll be interesting to see what those moves end up being. Um, I already covered this a lot on a pod with Jose yesterday uh, when we were recording, but I really want people to focus, if you're watching this NBA draft, on which teams move up, which teams are aggressive, and what... What's going to happen yet again after that top three or four breakout? And we kind of, I think, once the top three or four happen in terms of selections, we'll really see a breakdown of what's going to happen throughout the remainder of the draft. And it'll be much clearer, but there's definitely a lot of question marks compared to what's going to happen with this draft. Uh, I want to read through real quick before we move on to our next category a mock draft posted by ESPN today covering who the top 14 players probably are going to be for this draft. Uh, at least what they predict as of now and keep in mind This is already factoring in the trade that we'll talk about between Memphis and New Orleans With the first overall pick Detroit is expected to select Cade Cunningham out of Oklahoma State again Basically near unanimous prospect there have been reports recently at least a couple of weeks ago about them uh, Considering maybe taking Evan Mobley or Jalen Green, but it seems like they're gonna take Cade Cunningham He's only worked out I believe for Detroit. So that's probably a safe bet. Again, the Rockets at number two here is an interesting case because this is where they swing how the draft will break out. Um, they've got them projecting to take Jalen Green out of the G League Ignite. Again, solid player. I, my biggest fear if you're Houston, and this is, I guess, up to them to decide, but I've always been on the mindset, and I've said this time and time again, that you pick players based on superstar upside. For as much as the ba- sport of basketball, and specifically with the NBA, is a team game, Teams don't win titles. Superstar players do. Minus a couple exceptions, every team that has won a title has had a top seven to eleven player on their team, in addition to other pieces. If Houston Roy really thinks that Evan Mobley is that potential superstar, they should not take Jalen Green because they already have Christian Wood on the roster. I I have never been a fan of taking guys just because you need a fit. There is more to that than fit. You can these guys are so good that you can build other players around them even if they don't fit super seamlessly so i just want that on the record because that'll be an interesting debate that houston will have to have at number three if they do not trade down cleveland is expected to take evan mobley out of usc um this will be very interesting because evan mobley is kind of this not really like marvin bagley but i think he's kind of like a four or five where you can make him one or the other and his development will influence what position he plays because obviously at college he was more of a center but He has the versatility to kind of be like Al Horford and play, you know, switchy and not necessarily just be stationed at the five. That'll also be interesting for Cleveland because of Jared Allen being a restricted free agent, not under contract uh, means a new one. Do Do they fork over a lot of money for Jared Allen and play Mobley and Jared Allen together, let's say? That'll be an interesting thing that Cleveland will have to deal with, and... If you're Cleveland, do you take your Jalen Suggs and then that gives you an excuse to trade Colin Sexton? Because obviously Colin Sexton now, uh, uh, one of their top picks from a couple of years ago also needs a new extension. And now if you're Cleveland, you don't want to lock yourself up in dead money for a bunch of really good players, but not necessarily a upside superstar or a really quality uh, player. With the fourth pick in the NBA draft, ESPN has Jalen Slugs out of Gonzaga going to with number four to Toronto. Scotty Barnes, that small four that we were talking about earlier, projected to go number five to Orlando. At number six, Oklahoma is projected to take James Booknight out of UConn, a shooting guard from there. At seven, if they do not trade the pick, Golden State is expected to take Franz Wagner from Michigan, a really excellent three and D small four. I kind of want to see if he ends up there. At number eight, the Magic are taking Jonathan Kaminga, kind of like a Jonathan Isaac type player. Um, this very switchable, versatile wing that has questions about his offensive game, very, uh, very much a project, but uh, definitely has some upside potential. At number nine, the Kings are projected to take Moses Moody, a shooting guard out of Arkansas. Definitely a very interesting pick, especially because uh, they could potentially move Buddy Heel. There were reports earlier today that several teams, including Philadelphia, most notably, are interested in a Buddy Heel trade. We'll see how that develops toward closer to the draft. At number ten, not New Orleans, but now Memphis. Josh Giddy of Adelaide is projected to go uh, to Memphis, a point guard uh, from that team. Charlotte at number eleven is expected to take Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga, a small forward, uh, one of the be- basically the best shooter in this NBA draft. Good floor spacer, more uh, you know, pro- uh, provides more spacing if you will for Lomelo Ball, Gordon Hayward, and all those guys down in Charlotte. At number twelve, the Spurs are projected to pro- uh, pro- uh, pick. Alpern and Sagun out of Basitkas, a power forward slash center. Um, definitely a, a more of a European type prospect. We'll obviously have to see how he fits. Indiana, number 13, is expected to take Davion Mitchell out of Baylor, the point guard who is a very much an older prospect but already has a very high floor. And lastly at 14, Golden State, again, if they don't trade the pick, uh, Chris Duarte, shooting guard out of Oregon, another older prospect who can really help contribute uh, already at a very young age. Again, it'll be interesting to see how this draft plays out. I want to move on to our next topic, and that is our first big trade of the offseason involving the New Orleans Pelicans and the Memphis Grizzlies. The Pelicans yesterday, during our podcast, traded Eric Bledsoe, Steven Adams, picks 10 and 40, as long, with in addition to a first-round pick the following year that is from the Lakers, from the Anthony Davis trade, top 10 protected, to the Grizzlies for Jonas Fountunis, picks 17 and picks 51. So to resummarize... Pelicans are getting Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams, the number 10 and number 40 picks in this year's draft, and a 2020 first round pick that originally belonged to the Lakers but is now in their possession. That pick is top 10 protected and again is for next year's draft. The Grizzlies give up Jonas Valanciunas, number 17 and number 51 in this year's draft. Those three assets are going to New Orleans. So to break this down, because I really didn't go much into detail on yesterday's pod, the Grizzlies are saying we are sacrificing a little bit of our present for a more long-term future and a more stable future on um, the idea that they probably will not get any big free agents this offseason, and probably in a couple of years they will not. They already have a pretty decent core that's competitive, young, hungry, and very talented. They were one of the deepest teams in this past season, and they're basically saying with this trade, we want to accumulate more draft capital, even if it affects our cap space for the next up couple of years. Now... It is not confirmed yet, but apparently Eric Bledsoe, who has a pretty decent contract, will not be on the team and is not expected to stay with the Grizzlies. So whether it's a buyout, whether it's another trade that we'll see in a little bit, maybe a three-teamer in a couple days, Eric Bledsoe will not be in Memphis. Steven Adams, however, will stay. So if you're Memphis, you just now acquired two additional picks, one in the upper to mid-second round, and more importantly, a top-ten pick. You just got yourself a lottery pick for Jonas Valciunas and then... A number seventeen pick and a number fifty one overall pick. I think I think Memphis won this trade for sure. I think if you're Memphis, you weren't signing anybody very big this coming free agency class, and I don't even think it was worth it to, you know, pay twenty million to Lonzo Ball or God knows what to, you know, some of these restricted free agents or even some of the veterans on this uh you know uh, in the in the market right now. Steven Adams sorry, as much as I love Jonas as Steven Adams is, you know a couple tiers down. Obviously, definitely a bad contract compared to Valanciunas, but it's not like he still can't be an effective, you know, defensive center, pick-and-roll partner with John Moran. It'll be interesting to see how much of a downgrade will affect Memphis because, obviously, I think JV was a bit better. Um, If you're New Orleans, you obviously got an upgrade at center because Jonas Valanciunas is a big that can play next to Zion. You know, he's kind of this very old-school type big, so obviously spacing is a big question, but he does give Zion – a backup, uh, basically a five that he can play with that will give him defense, serve as a rim protector, uh, eat up offensive and defensive rebounds galore, score in the paint if the Pelicans des- or another team decides to help off of Zion. I think it's a pretty decent trade, but I just don't think if you're in New Orleans, this is the upgrade that you necessarily want. I think you want to have more lineups with Zion at the five not him playing with a traditional big man like a JV or in this past season with you know Derek Favors and some of these old-school bigs that can't really stretch the floor and really uh, are effective ineffective without the ball in their hands. So um, that's definitely something to look at here. If you're Memphis, it'll be interesting to see who they take with this pick. Do they go for kind of a wing-type player? Do they go for, uh, I don't know, like maybe another big man? I don't know if you want to do that with Jaron Jackson. Uh, you know Tillman some of those guys or do they take best player available that'll be interesting debate for sure and then obviously having that even that 40th pick you know kind of in that late that mid to late or uh, early to mid second rounder again another young player they can add and basically build more of a core that can serve either for future they can trade some of these pieces in the long term for a better player since again they're not a big free agent market it seems like their only avenue to improve would be through the draft or through uh, some sort of trade market Uh, If you're in New Orleans, uh, obviously they're one of the teams I'm looking forward to watching. How they play out this offseason. Do they trade Brandon Ingram and kind of say Zion and a a new core? Do they re-sign Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart, both restricted free agents from the Anthony Davis trade? Are they good enough to compete in next year's Western Conference, which features, you know, more healthy teams, a revamped Golden State, you know, a more hungry L.A. team, some of the mainstays like Denver and Dallas and all those sort of rosters. New Orleans is a team to watch out for, because do they go in a younger direction, or do they sense that the clock to keep Zion in New Orleans has already started, has kept going, and is kind of fading a bit faster than people think? Again, first of many trades here, uh, definitely one to watch out for, for sure. And again, we want to focus on these sorts of moving up trades uh, in the next couple of days. The third thing I want to talk about is rumors. A lot of rumors circulating around the NBA. I wanted to spend about, you know, one to two minutes on each of these rumors, kind of diving into potential trade offers that have been put on the table, uh, which uh, do players like certain teams and vice versa, all that sort of stuff. Uh, The first is a team that we covered on the last pod, and that's uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. They have uh, apparently offered Kyle Kuzma and KCP to every team in the NBA almost, and all of them said no. This is pretty hysterical for a lot of reasons because I think the media has definitely done this uh with the past couple seasons and again this happens with every big market team where they love to overrate players on these teams. I mean we we saw it with Julius Randle. I mean, I'm not to I know it's a bigger name, but seeing, you know, him be a bench warmer to, you know, him getting MVP case when I don't think he was necessarily that good. That's a that's that's it's a common practice. And I think we're seeing it here. With the Lakers, uh, not only that, but we're also seeing it with the issue of how do they improve this roster? I mean, for as much as people love LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I don't think Anthony Davis can be the best player on a title team. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if LeBron has more miles. This is basically the second year of three in a row, if you start with 2019 up to now, where he's been injured and missed time due to age, all the minutes he's played. I've got a lot of questions for the Lakers, and now... You're in this situation where you have no draft capital because of the Anthony Davis trade. You have no young players that you're very excited about. I don't think Taylor, Taylor Horton-Tucker's are you know, the next Dwayne Wade out here. And you are in a situation with you know De- uh, with Dennis Schroeder where he wants a bunch of money. If you let him go, you lose. You have no way to replace Dennis Schroeder, the player. But you don't want to overpay him for you know twenty million dollars or twenty-five million or wherever he wants because he's simply not that good. He's not one of the top. 10 or even 15 point guards in the league. It's just a fact. Again, it'll be interesting to see what L.A. does here. I mean, the only way they can really improve this roster would have to be some veteran like Kyle Lowry taking the minimum or Mike Conley, you know, skipping out on a big contract to take a veteran minimum to go play and be a third banana. I don't know if that player's on the table. I really don't know how feasible it is. And L.A. is one of these teams that I'm also interested in because they're one of these 8 to 9 teams where it's like, hey, they need to improve they need to upgrade this roster but there's no plan a that i'm looking at right now and saying that that's what they should do whether it be in a trade a free agent a draft pick god knows what i don't know what the move is for la and i really don't i'm I'm fearful that they're going to do the pay dennis short of 25 million for four years because they have nobody else and they're just stuck with this core that if not healthy as we just saw is a first or second round exit no better than that so i would watch out for the lakers and see how they improve this team, if at all. Do they undervalue Kyle Kuzma and just trade him to trade him? Um, and what their third banana is going to be for this Lakers team? Uh, the next one is a bit more intriguing, but according to Jake Fisher, a uh, prominent NBA writer, the Cavs turned down an offer for SGA and the number six pick for the third overall pick. I'm sorry, Cleveland. I don't know what the hell you're doing. gilgeous Alexander was a damn near all-star this past season for a Thunder team that was really not good. Oklahoma City was a 500 team for, like, the first 20-ish games or so. Uh, Even more, probably 25-30 before they just shut down SGA after he had, like, I think, a foot or knee injury. And in this draft in particular, a very deep draft, the difference between 3 and 6 is not terrible. I mean, for Evan Mobley and, you know, Jalen Green are are much better than, you know, the guys at 6 or 7. But you could still get a good player. At six or seven, do you, you can reach and take Jonathan Kaminga and hope he has upside or Scotty Barnes. You can go for Franz Wagner and just get an established guy who has a lot of upside as a 3 and D off-ball player. If you're Cleveland, why don't you take this trade and then trade Colin Sexton or Darius Garland? Why why would you pigeonhole yourself to to not take getting an all-star back? I, I really don't get this trade or this trade decline if you're... The Cleveland Cavaliers. And they're one of the another team that I'm fascinated at because they're in this no man situation where they've got a young guy, a lot of young guys that need new contracts. Jared Allen and Colin Sexton among them among them. No franchise guy whatsoever on the roster that I can see right now. And you still have veterans that can be moved. Kevin loves a harder one because of the thirty million for, you know, a couple more years. But Larry Nance is an offer, you know, among others. I don't know what Cleveland's doing here. I really If this actually happened where they declined this trade, I think there's a mistake for Cleveland. I think if you're Oklahoma City, I kind of want to keep SGA. I, I, maybe to just hit the total reset, you know, build this over 10 years, but SJ's an all-star and could be the, the, probably the third best guy on the title team based on how he played this past season. So, again, I don't know what Cleveland's doing here. I think if I were in the Cavs shoes, I would probably want to take uh, SJ and that sixth pick instead of just keeping three. Uh, The next rumor involves Lonzo Ball. There's been reports about him being potentially involved in some sign-in trades, most notably with Indiana. This will be interesting for Indiana because they've never had a really dominant ball player who's as unselfish as Lonzo, who can just play, make, and set his teammates up. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens here. Lonzo Ball is an interesting free agent just because I don't think New Orleans wants him back, even though he played very well with Zion in the limited minutes. But I, I just don't know what Lonzo is. I think he can be a really good point guard, maybe like a fifth or sixth guy on a title team. I just don't know if he could be a starter, especially with inconsistent jump shooting, um, what his role is when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. That kind of fears me. I just don't want to pay that sort of guy 16 to $20 million. So I'm fearful if you're Indiana that you're going to overpay for Lonzo. If his contract is more than $16 million, I'm starting to kind of wince my eyes a little bit. So interesting free agent to watch out for, especially given the restricted market and all that. Another big name, and this is way more bigger, is Ben Simmons. Another prominent thing, I've covered it about five or six straight episodes with Philly wanting out, him wanting to go to a new place, Philly saying we need to trade him now before anything else. And now there was a report, according to Sam Amick, that Miami, Toronto, and Washington aren't in the front running for the most uh, potential landing spots. That would mean a lot of things. So if we start backwards and start with Washington, that would mean Bradley Beal is in the move or Westbrook. It would have to be one of those players because of how big Ben Simmons' contract is. It would have to be Ben Simmons for Beal and something else or uh, vice versa, like Beal for Simmons and something else or Westbrook for Simmons and maybe something else. We don't know. A potential offer could be Westbrook and the 15th pick for Simmons. or Because I don't really know how much Westbrook is a bad or negative contract. I personally think he is, but we'll play that by year. Toronto being an interesting team means that the 4th pick is on the table, as I've stated earlier. And that'll be an interesting thing to see if you're Toronto. Again, what direction do they go in? Because they could stay with this current core. They can make a big name splash, like getting Ben Simmons. Or they can hit the total reset button. Uh, and trade some of their veterans. So that's an interesting team. And then, of course, my hometown team in Miami, this would have to mean that Duncan Robinson is probably getting traded. This would mean that they would have to sign Duncan to 20 you know, million, Iguodala would accept a, player, a team option, or God knows what, for Simmons. That w- that literally would have to be the trade because there's no way they're trading Jimmy or Bam, and the other contracts won't work. Maybe it's Drogic and Iguodala, but I don't really know, and... I mean, all these teams, what they're going to give back to Philly is assets. I think if you're Washington or Philly, you want Bradley Beal to be secondary guy to Embiid, great scores, floor spacing, extra ball handler, all that sort of stuff that Ben Simmons just wasn't. If you're Toronto, you're basically saying, hey, it's the Reclamation Project. We surround him with a bunch of shooting and young guys here, and we kind of build from the ground up. And if you're in Miami, you're saying Ben Simmons is your third guy. I don't really like Ben Simmons just because of the Butler, Bam, Ben Simmons trio of holy crap, they can't shoot, but we'll have to play that by ear. And then lastly, Kyle Lowry. Um, three years, $90 million is the reported offer that he's looking for. Kyle Lowry is our most free interesting free agent for this offseason because any team that gets him is using him primarily as a second or third best player on a team. I've always been a fan of him going to Dallas. Him and Luka, I think, would be a great pairing, uh, especially because Kyle Lowry, I think, is still good. Um, if Mike Conley doesn't resign with Utah, him going to Utah, he could really be a good uh, sidekick to Jonathan Mitchell. I've always loved him in Miami just to be a floor spacer, unselfish, kind of fits the whole uh, culture uh, here in Miami. He's a big free agent. I think probably the big name for this offseason, especially if Toronto doesn't want to bring him back do they invest in a sign and trade to get rid of Kyle Lowry for a couple assets that they can use again Toronto's this big team that I think everyone's forgetting that they have a lot of different different directions to go to uh, I want to end off with a couple more news pieces the first is which the NBA has announced the new dates for this upcoming NBA season so the 2021-2022 season already has unless anything changes uh, specific dates for all the different events that we can expect to see so the NBA season is supposed to start on October 19th of 2021. So uh, free agency is throughout this early August period. Right after that, we have the summer league in Vegas for about two or so two weeks or so. Training camp is about September 28th, so kind of that end of September thing. They've got about three weeks, and then October 19th, we start. Uh, keeps going with the regular season, and then the most significant date to focus on is April 10th. That would be the end of the regular season. It has been announced, and now it's official, that the play-in tournament is back. So there will be another play-in tournament, obviously very successful this season between the Warriors and the Lakers. Uh, With that matchup, out east there was a couple good ones minus the actual final game. It will be interesting to see uh, the play-in tournament. uh, Is it going to be as effectful this upcoming season as it was this previous season? That will be April 12 to April 15 of the following year. The next day, playoffs begin june 2nd it would be nba finals june 19 would be a game seven of the finals if needed and then four days later on june 23rd would be the nba draft again i think a big narrative for this is that the nba wanted to go back to the normal october to june schedule that they've always had um despite i, I get it's a pandemic i get there's issues related to COVID, and you know this season in particular was very hellish and very holy crap this just happened but It'll be interesting to see this return to the original basketball schedule for a lot of reasons. First off, I've said this on about four different podcasts now. There are a lot of teams that are really going to feel the effects of this past season, this upcoming season. If you're Denver, losing Jamal Murray for basically this first half of the year is a lot. If you're Golden State, or excuse me, if you're um, if you're Los Angeles, let's say, is there enough time to really hit the reset button when it comes to their injuries? If you're the Clippers, what's Kawhi Leonard's situation looking like? There are teams that are really hampered by the wear and tear and the uh, physical uh, toll that this past season took, especially because I'd argue that I've said a couple times that for as much as people thought the bubble was an asterisk, at least every team in the bubble had the same circumstances. Whereas with this past season, there were moments in which it was basically a luck game. There were teams like Utah and Phoenix that saw minimal to no COVID absences at all. Teams like Boston and Washington and the Spurs, on the other hand, went, you know, weeks without playing basketball. That matters. I mean, even my own hometown team in Miami started off, you know, 500 because half their team was either injured or on COVID. And remember, they only had 70 days of rest after playing in the bubble, and so did the Lakers. So this return to the normal schedule really affected a lot of teams. And it, you should really keep this in mind, um, especially. Um, lastly, I want to talk about new rules that were implemented by the NBA when it comes to uh, shooting fouls. The NBA is really going to crack down this upcoming season on the Trey Youngs and James Hardens of the world, specifically you know, bumping into players, trying to draw contact when there is none. Uh, I think it's a really big deal for the NBA. I really am glad they're doing this. I feel like this past season it was very annoying with certain situations where you felt like teams weren't it felt like there was it, it was just too weird like too much stoppage in play a lot of up and down you know losing momentum and it was well it's a lot of different things you know mainly timeouts the instant replay which have been a freaking it's been a freaking annoyance quite frankly the foul drawing is one of them for sure that whole thing with you know bumping into a player kicking your leg out and them calling it a, a you know an offense a defensive foul whatever that stuff's annoying i'm glad that they're going to get rid of it for sure um that's basically it for today's episode. Again, more of a news piece episode. We went through the NBA draft and some big storylines that I want to look out for. This past episode involved a, more of a generic offseason preview. Teams, players. If you want more of a general overview, definitely check out that past episode. But if not, thank you guys for watching. We will have more NBA offseason content in the next couple of weeks. We'll be pumping out you know, two to three episodes every week next episode we'll focus on the nba draft winners losers big takeaways with again returning guests after that conclude with free agency summarize who the winners and losers are of free of the offseason in general and then we'll use that little summer period to you know talk about what we're looking forward to this upcoming season uh i love doing the uh uh over unders when it comes to wins in the regular season for all these different teams uh preseason expectations all that sort of stuff. With that said, thank you guys so much for listening. Always appreciate it. More episodes coming out soon. Uh, Have a great rest of your day, and again, be on the lookout for more episodes.